Welcome to the All of Christ for All of Life podcast, brought to you by Canon Plus. This week's episode is a parenting talk from Doug and Nancy Wilson entitled Discipline or Punishment. Be sure to check out more from this collection at mycanonplus.com. Well, this session is on discipline and punishment. Not that either of these things are bad things. They can both be done well. They can both be done uh, poorly. But that's not the point. The point is that they are not the same thing. Discipline and punishment are not the same thing, and it's very important for parents to get a grasp, a right grasp of the distinction between the two as they are bringing up their children. Let's ask God to bless our time together. Father, please uh, watch over our hearts and minds as we interact with this material. We commit it all to you and ask you to do this for Jesus' sake. And amen. Amen. I want to begin with the, the fundamental definition, the distinction that I'm making between discipline and punishment. And then I want to come at it a number of different ways. Discipline is corrective. Discipline is corrective. Punishment has to do with simple justice. Punish, punishment need not be concerned about correcting anything. Punishment has to do with justice. Discipline has to do with correction. To give a uh, drastic illustration of it, if a serial murderer on death row is executed, he is being punished. He is not being disciplined. This is not being done so that it would, might make him better in the future. We're not trying to correct anything. Now, given the fact that the civil magistrate can only reach so far, and God's grace reaches farther, the punishment might, might make him better. He might repent on death row. He might make his peace with God. And he might be restored to fellowship with God. And he might go to be with God after he is executed. But as far as the civil realm is concerned... Punishment works whether or not the criminal repents. Part of the problem that we have in the United States today is because we have a savior state, because we have an idolatrous state, the state has begun to usurp attributes of deity. And this is why we, we now send people to penitentiaries. That began as a place for people to go to become penitent. It turned into a graduate school for crime and vice, but it began with an idea that let's, let's give um, someone a time out. Let's send them to a place where they can reflect on their misdeeds and become penitent. This was, a, this was done in the hope that the state would be able to discipline, that the state would be able to make people better. But the state can't do that. All right? Only, we're, we're Christians. We believe that Christ is the only Savior. Christ is the only Savior, and we can obey Him and submit to Him, and as we do so, He can use us as His instruments to, to bring discipline and improvement and so forth. But we cannot usurp His prerogative, and we cannot say, step in, and we're going to save anyone. We, and you can tell this when, it, let's say, Senator Snotwurst is running for office, and, and he is asked a question... Uh, you know, what are you going to do? What about this uh, problem with uh, uh, drug use or, or teen pregnancy or this problem or that problem? I would love to see a politician 
sometime, say, you know, I'm not, gonna, I'm not proposing that we do anything about this because I don't believe that this is a problem that admits of a political solution. I don't think there is a political answer for this problem. Well, there would be a, an enormous hue and cry, an enormous uproar, because we are looking, we look to the state to, to perform salvific functions. God, in Romans 13, assigns, the, the, assigns to the state the role of rewarding the righteous and punishing the wrongdoer. The magistrate, uh, Paul says, does not bear the sword for nothing. All right, the magistrate doesn't bear the sword for nothing. Now, it says in Ecclesiastes, where justice is not speedily executed upon the criminal, there the heart of man is filled to do evil. The Bible teaches that punishment does have a deterrent effect. But even if it didn't, so the Bible says it do, it, you will deter others if punishment is meted out, as you see in Romans 13, as you see in Ecclesiastes. If punishment is meted out, that does have a deterrent effect, but punishment would be valuable even if it didn't have a deterrent effect. Right? Punishment, because punishment is about justice. Punishment is about justice. So if you get up in the middle of the night, you go down to the kitchen for a snack, and you flip on the light, and a cockroach scurries across the, the kitchen floor, and you lunge at it, and your foot is over the top of it, ready to stomp on it, and then you stop and think, wait, I wonder if this will deter the others. <laughs> well, you're not interested in deterring the others. It may or may not deter the others. You're just interested in deterring that one, right? In the same way, if a criminal is executed, if a murderer is executed, the Bible tells us it deters others. If you strike the fool, it says in Proverbs, if you strike the fool, the simple learn wisdom. So you strike the fool as a matter of justice, the simple learn wisdom as a matter of discipline. Right? This, when the simple learn wisdom, that alters behavior. That, that means discipline is occurring. But punishment is not, you don't have to run the calculus to see if anything is going to be changed. Now, here's the problem. When we confuse these two things, punishment and discipline, we discipline when we should be punishing, and we punish when we should be disciplining. So there is a problem with the state trying to discipline when they ought to be punishing. Right? So when the state tries to discipline when they ought to be punishing, what they do is they get in over their heads. God's not given them the authority or the competence to do what they're doing. Um, they've got one basic job when it comes to these things, and that's to enable, it, enable me to walk across town safely at 2 in the morning. Right? So that's the civil magistrate's job. And so I should be able to do that. And if they're trying to make people better, they're going to get in over their heads and find themselves with all sorts of complications, and they are going to make the problem worse. That's a subject that I just want to say enough about that to contrast what uh, to contrast the two uh, words, discipline or punishment. But I want to bring it into the home, the, the Christian home, to show that we have the opposite problem. Oftentimes we punish when we ought, ought to be disciplining. The magistrate disciplines when they ought to be punishing, and we punish when we ought to discipline. Discipline is corrective. It has its eye on the result. It has its eye on the result. And when you get the result, you're done. Now, discipline ought to be just. You ought not to have radical, crazy, radical, crazy uh, forms of discipline. 
But it's not fundamentally about justice. It's fundamentally about correction. Let's say you have a little boy who is a regular grind ball, right? He's a pig pen out of peanuts, right? He can walk outside and he's got grass stains everywhere and blood some places and you just everything. And you and you bring him in, and then you have a little he's got a little sister who learned how to say ew when something was on her hand when she was six months old. And this is a fundamental, there's a a fundamental difference between these two. Do you put both of them in the bathtub at the end of the day for the same amount of time in the interests of justice? No, right? What's the point of the bathtub? The The point of the bathtub is to get them cleaned up, right? And the reason the boy has to spend much longer time in the bathtub until his fingers get pruny is because it takes that much time to get him clean. You've got to scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub. And then someone else, it's just, it's a, it's a breeze and so on. And you don't say, well, you have to spend the same amount of time in the tub. If you were, if, if you were uh, a magistrate, let's say, a civil magistrate dis, uh, dispensing uh, justice, the Bible tells uh, the magistrate not to discipline, not, excuse me, not to punish with partiality. Right? You don't say, well, this boy who shot out the streetlights is the son of the mayor, so we will just give him a warning. And this other kid who shot out the, helped him shoot out the streetlights, he is uh, from the wrong side of the tracks and he's headed for trouble anyway, so we might as well nail him now. Right? If you do that, the Bible says that that's wicked. The Bible ad- identifies disparity of punishment based on special favors or relationship and that sort of thing. Disparity of punishment is wicked. Disparity of punishment is evil. You're playing favorites. The the Bible says that we are not to show partiality in that way. We're not to show partiality with regard to punishment. That doesn't mean that we are not to show partiality with regard to discipline. Your children's emotional frame will differ and vary just as their physical predilections for dirt will vary. You will have some children who uh, you, ha- you have to go toe-to-toe with them. Um, let's, say you, let's say you've got a small tank of a child, and if they finally get to the um, ambulatory stage where they're toddling around the living room and reaching for electric light cords and that sort of thing, and you and okay, now we get we toddler proof the house. We as best best we can. Everything goes up, and he starts to and he and he cruises into that stage of his life where he's headed for his first spanking, and he's a little uh, slab of meat, let's say, and he and you spank him for the first time, and he looks at you without a whimper, as much as to say, "Is that all you've got?" <laughs> Are there kids like that? There are kids like that. And then there's some other kid, and all you do is look at them funny, and they dissolve into tears, and they promise to be better forever and ever, and they really are for three months. And, you know, it's like you do the mildest correction with this, this child, and they're corrected. They receive the correction. And this other child, to get them to receive the... You have to pound them for a while to get them, get their attention, much less get them to receive whatever it is you're talking about. Now, in the world of discipline, this does not mean that you are mistreating the one, right? And you're not mistreating the one 
over the other. You're not showing partiality because discipline is corrective. Discipline is corrective. Now, in Hebrews 12, we have the Lord's teaching on this. You've not yet, verse 4, you've not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which, which speaketh unto you as unto children. All right, so you are God's children, and God treats you as his children the way parents treat their children, which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise, thou, uh, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? What son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father's spirits and live? Now, let's say you're driving down the street, you're driving in a strange neighborhood, you, you look, glance over to the side, you see two boys in the front yard scuffling and fighting, and then all of a sudden, a, 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 an adult male bursts out of one of the nearby houses, grabs one of the boys by the ear, and hauls him off. And the other looks around and gets on his bike and drives off. Now, you don't know anything more about the situation, but whose, whose son was that that was taken off? Well, the father who took the boy off, that was the father, that was the son. That's because, as a general principle, we recognize that fathers don't spank the neighbor's children. Sometimes they feel like it, but they, but, but they don't spank the neighbor's children. Refusal to discipline is... is functionally disowning a child. Right? It, um, the, it says in Proverbs that a father who does not um, uh, discipline his son hateth his son. The father who doesn't discipline his son hates his son. And this puts it in such a way is that you are claiming when a son challenges you and does something that requires discipline and he doesn't receive the discipline, then it says you are functionally a bastard. You've been disowned by your father when the father refuses to discipline you. Now, the thing that's interesting about this is that the language here is pretty tough. Discipline, uh, no discipline, it says, seems pleasant at the time, but rather painful. Uh, Down in verse 11, uh, let me pick up reading where I left off at verse 10. For they verily for a few days chastened chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceful fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now I hope you see that discipline here is corrective because it gets a particular result. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful, grievous, but afterward yields the peaceful fruit of an upright life. Now, um, there's a logical fallacy called affirming the consequent. Affirming the consequent means that you reason thusly. Uh, All dogs have four legs. This has four legs. Therefore, this is a dog. Okay? So if you, 
if your premise is that all dog, if it's uh, all dogs have four legs, if it's a dog, it has four legs. This animal here that I just found, uh, named Bessie, that goes moo, has four legs. It must be a dog. That's the fallacy of affirming the consequent. You are also affirming the consequent when you say no discipline seems uh, pleasant at the time. Therefore, if I subject my child to an unpleasant experience, it is therefore discipline. Okay? So, true discipline is unpleasant. True discipline is unpleasant. But there are many things that are unpleasant that are not true discipline. True discipline is unpleasant, but just because it's unpleasant doesn't make it true discipline. And we tell, we identify this, just like we identify true true teachers from false teachers in Matthew by the fruit, Jesus said to judge by the fruit, so you tell the difference between true discipline and false discipline by the fruit. You judge the discipline by the results. You you judge the soap and the tub by the cleanliness of the child afterwards and how he smells when he's sitting on your lap afterwards. Does he have that nice kid shampoo smell? Or does he smell like an angry, wet cat that you, that you just got, you managed to just get wet, but not clean, right? So time in the tub, uh, time in the tub doesn't cut it. You want to look to the results, all right? So discipline is corrective, and here we see that discipline is sharp, it's painful, it is not pleasant. Kids would rather not have it happen. You don't generally see kids who are effectively disciplined running cost-benefit analyses in their mind. I want to do this, and Dad's not going to be home for five hours. Mom's going to do the spanking. She doesn't spank that hard. I really want to do this, so okay, I'm going to go for it. (laughs) If that's happening, then the discipline is not acute enough. It's, It's not acute enough. Discipline needs to be unpleasant, needs to be grievous, it needs to, the child who's being disciplined effectively needs to feel two things. The child who's effectively disciplined has to go through three things. Number one, the two things. There are two kinds of people, um, uh, the three kinds of people in the, in the world, those who can count and those who can't. Um, the, 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 child, the child needs to go through two um, basic sentiments. The first one is they need to feel like their world has ended, that the roof has fallen in, that some horrible, you know, this is grievous. And then the second thing that has to happen is they need to enter into joy. Okay? The first is grief. The second is joy. Discipline administered in wisdom brings the acute pain to bear so that you can enter into joy. And you measure whether or not it is, in fact, discipline, as opposed to just clobbering, by whether or not you enter into joy. So if you're just pounding your kid, if you're just clobbering your kid, um, that, what, what's the point? Um, some, sometimes you might say, well, I'm punishing him. I just have to do something because that was not right what he did. But you're a parent, and you're charged with the task of bringing this child up in the, into the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This child is to worship and serve God forever and ever. And so you want to do it, you want to administer the discipline in such a way as to have it be effective. So what happens is parents fall between two stools. They, they don't make the, 
the discipline is not painful enough and the cleansing is not joyful enough. The result is not joyful enough. And so instead of having acute pain followed by joy, what you have is long stretches of chronic pain and difficulty that doesn't ever result, doesn't ever result in anything. doesn't ever come to some sort of closure. Now here's another principle to keep in mind as, as we're working with this. Discipline has to occur in order to function as discipline. It has to be restorative, which means that it has to occur in a context of love, which means there has to be something that the child wants to get back into. If the child is out of fellowship with his parents all the time, then all you're going to have in the disciplinary, so-called disciplinary event is a situation where the out-of-fellowshipness got a little bit bad a little bit worse than it usually is. I'm normally out of fellowship in a category three, and this we went to a category five out of fellowship, and then we're back to a category three out of fellowship. It's overcast and drizzling all the time at our house, but then there was, there's a periodic downpour. Right? Now, if it's drizzling and overcast at your house all the time, and then there's a periodic downpour, and then it goes back to drizzling and gray, that's not discipline. That's not discipline. You want your kids to be living in bright sunshine all the time. And periodically, there's a thunderstorm. Periodically, there's a thunderstorm. And in the midst of the thunderstorm, that child, because they're so used to the sunshine, they want nothing more than to get back into the sunshine. All right? They want nothing more. And that's what I mean by restorative discipline. So if you have... Uh, well, here's a, a, a way to measure whether or not that's happening. Let's say you spank your child, and, and when he's, uh, he was mad before you spanked him, and he got madder while you were spanking him, he's somewhat subdued but still mad, and after you spanked him, he says, can I go now? You know, he doesn't, he doesn't feel in, you jerk, you tyrant, you evil monster, but he, there's no, he just wants to go. He just wants to leave. What he, he's saying, we had our thunderstorm, can I go back to my gray drizzle? That's what he's asking. When it's being done right, when, the, when you discipline your child correctly, the child turns back to you for comfort. What happened was they were in fellowship with you, they sinned, the sin disrupted fellowship, the discipline has uh, brought it to their attention that the fellowship is disrupted, and they receive the discipline and they walk back into fellowship, and so when you're done with them, they turn back to you. They come back to you to be restored. Now, if they say, well, suppose they were to say, but there's nothing there to be restored. Well, then you, you, you have other things to do before you get to the spanking part. You, you need to restore the climate of your home so that there's something to protect by means of the discipline. Let me just say a few things about the practical, um, some of the practical mechanics of this. I remember... Again, uh, those times when I was spanked as a child, richly deserved, um, uh, frequently the offenses would happen at the dinner table. And, and so in, in, our, uh, well, in, in our house, we, the spankings occurred in the basement, so we'd be sent to the basement. And um, in fact, we're th- we've, we've drawn up plans for our church, uh, our church building we'd like to build, and we'd like to have... Uh, two towers at the 
and one of the towers, there'd be bell towers, and one of the towers we wanted to have be a little room and the, one of the towers for uh, dis- kids being disciplined during church service. And <laughs> with, because we have, a, we have a fairly long church service and the kids sit through the service and dads have to frequently shuttle their kids out of the service and then back in the service. And, just, and we wanted to do all this just so we could threaten kids with being taken to the tower. <laughs> well, in our home, we were sent to the basement. In, in my daughter's home, uh, my son-in-law and daughter's home, they have a special room, and I don't ask me how this came, a special room that they call Cyprus. And so the kids are sent to Cyprus, and that, that's where they are. Um, just a weird family cultural thing. Well, anyway, I was... I remember going down in the basement. My dad, my dad would come down. He would explain the offense to us. This is what this is what you did. And and here's here's something else. You do not discipline in anger, right? You do not discipline in anger. It needs to be calm. It needs to be judicial. It needs to be deliberate. It needs to be a, a, a an act of obedience that you are exercising. I am offering this event up to God as a sweet-smelling savor. I am pleasing God right now. That's how the the parent needs to be thinking. This is difficult. I don't feel like doing it. Um, I'm not angry. I'm not ticked off. I quoted uh, Galatians 6.1 before. If a brother's overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Your kids are brothers and sisters in Christ. If a brother is overtaken in a trespass, that includes your kid, that includes your son or your daughter, then you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. That means that when you feel like spanking their um, insolent little bottom, you are not qualified to spank their bottom. When you are highly motivated to discipline them, you're not qualified to discipline them. And when you're qualified to discipline them, you probably are letting it go and you're just fine with letting things go. So when you're qualified, you don't feel like it. When you feel like it, you're not qualified, which means that when you don't feel like it and you're qualified, you need as an act of obedience to take the initiative to apply discipline as it's needed. Well, I've been left in the basement long enough. Back in in the basement, my dad would uh, go explain the offense uh, to us. This is what you did. He would do it in a calm, not angry way. This is what happened. Um, we were given an opportunity for the defense, which was generally pretty thin. <laughs> an opportunity for the defense, and we'd receive our spanking, and then my dad would pray with us. Uh, prayer is a part of the discipline event. We would, uh, he would explain to us from scripture, explain to us from the word what this was all about, an opportunity for the defense. The principles of justice were not neglected. We'd be spanked. We'd be calm, judicial, and then he would pray with us. And we would be told that as far as he was concerned, fellowship with the family was absolutely restored. It was like nothing had ever happened. And as soon as we were prepared to receive that restoration, as soon as we were prepared to act like we were restored, um, we were free to rejoin the, t- the family at any, at any time. And I remember at least one occasion sitting down in the basement listening to the happy clinking of silverware upstairs. Um, here I am in the basement, having been fully restored, and my restoration is up to me. Right? But there was something, there was a place of joy 
there to go back to. Right? There was a place of joy from which I was temporarily in exile, and I was temporarily in exile because of my behavior. And I could, just simply by surrendering the point, receiving the discipline, return to that place of joy. And this is the next point that I want to make about, about uh, discipline. When I talk about discipline being restorative and discipline being uh, correctional, it has to occur, as I said before, in the context of love and, and love and joy, because the child is going to want the child will hate being exiled from love and joy, and they, they will want back in. If it's not a context of love and joy, all you're doing is making their generally unpleasant life periodically more unpleasant, and they just want to hunker down and take it and get away as soon as they can. So if kids flee from you, if fellowship is cold for a period after discipline, if they're angry with you, run, turn away from you, then that doesn't say, that, that's not to say that you need to spank them harder or longer. The, the, the place to correct that is probably in the environment that they're living in before the, the discipline event. If your children turn back to you for comfort, if you they, you spank them, they hate being out of fellowship with you, they turn back to you for comfort, that is a good litmus test. That's a good indicator that you've got a healthy relationship with them. If they're not turning back to you, don't think you can pound a healthy relationship with them into them. It doesn't happen that way. So, here's another way of thinking about it. And this is not just, uh, this is not just something that happens with little kids when you're disciplining them or spanking them. This is also something that's true of uh, older kids. Do not confuse your authority to do whatever it is you're doing. Your authority to discipline your child, your authority, your authority to spank them, your authority to correct them, which the Bible undoubtedly gives you. The Bible gives you that authority. And the Bible tells you if you're not doing it, if you're not disciplining, if you're not chastising, if you're not correcting your son, you hate your son. All right, so the Bible says you have the authority to do these things, and in, in every home there is this. This is part of the. Um, this is just part of your family culture. I remember a number of years ago, a bunch of uh, our kids and some of their friends sat around in our living room, and they got onto what I called spanking stories, and. <laughs> And there, was, there were some great, hilarious spanking stories that they told. And they told these stories. It's, re- it's really remarkable. The, all these kids, grown kids, told these stories of all these memorable spankings with great affection. Right, this was part of their affectionate memories. Th- these, are, these are good things. This is a good thing, not a bad thing. Well, when you are, um, when you are in the process of, of doing this and you are and you want to bring your children up in joy and bring your children up in love, one of the things you have to do is recognize that the end result, the, the, the end result is, this, uh, is a transformation. I recall one time when uh, Becca, our oldest, was maybe four, she, um, she was pushing it and, uh, and you know, walking. You know how there's a, you have the line here, and kids have this invisible radar that enables them to just walk right along the, 
walk right along the line. They know right you, they know right where you've placed it, and they're just right on it, sailing really close to the wind. And I remember talking to Nancy, and I said, uh, Becca's asking for it, and she's going to get it as soon as one toe goes over the line. Just one, that's it. And so what she was cranky and unhappy and out of sorts and fussing and everything. And right close to the line, sure enough, we watched her very carefully. As soon as the toe went over the line, she was spanked, loved, we prayed with her. And you have never seen such a happy, transformed girl in your life. She was dancing pirouettes in the living room. She was just bouncing off. Because what had happened is she'd gotten a backlog of unconfessed sin. She'd just gotten out of sorts, and she needed to be cleansed. Right. She, she was out of, fellowship, out of fellowship with God and with us already, and she needed to be cleansed, and the discipline does it. All right. The discipline does it, but the discipline only does it if it is done, if you, if it is done in a certain way, if it, is, if it is done in love, if it is done as a way of bestowing. Here is, um, here's another illustration. Discipline is what a disciple receives. Discipline is what a disciple receives. And a disciple does not just receive negative consequences for having done things wrong. So when you turn in a paper and you get it back with red marks on it because you got certain answers wrong, that's discipline because you're a disciple. That's negative discipline because you're a disciple. But the teacher might say, you know, there's nothing wrong with this paper, but I'm convinced that by this time next month, you could be doing far better than that. I believe you can do more. Let me push you a little bit further. There's nothing wrong with what you did, but I want you to do more. I want, I, I want to bestow something on you. That's positive discipline. Now, there is a way of disciplining that, uh, that isn't discipline at all. There's a way of disciplining that's true discipline and a way of disciplining that's false discipline. Picture it this way. If you've got kids, let's say you get home from work, you're fried, your head is full of bees, you are ready for a meal and, and ready for no one to talk to you all evening, and, and you're just going to veg, you're just going to sit down, and when you sit down and you've got your can of beer and you're just sitting there ready to, you know, huh, and then the kids get all wound up for some reason and start careening around the living room. And then the curtains, when you see someone swinging on the curtains and you, and then turn around, someone's standing on the coffee table and, and it's just pandemonium. Now, there are two ways to go here. Now, I don't believe, remember Galatians 6.1, if you're not qualified to correct, then don't correct. Period. You're going to make, if you don't like the mess they're making in the living room, don't make a bigger mess. All right? If you don't like the mess they're making, don't make it bigger. Okay, so if you're not qualified to correct, shut up. Do nothing. Say nothing. You, you say, but I can't. Uh, but I can't let this go. This is horrible. This is awful. I need to correct this behavior now. I can't let this go. Then I would say, in sitting there next to you invisibly, then get your heart right and correct it. But I don't want to get my heart right and correct it. I want, I'm motivated to correct it now because I want to correct them for messing up my evening. I have a headache. I am tired. I have all this problem, and I want to fix my problem that they are creating for me. Now, when you discipline that way, 
And I'm not disputing that the kids need discipline. You sh- they shouldn't be standing on the coffee table. shouldn't be swinging on the curtains. And you should correct it. But you ought to correct it as a gift to them instead of the correction being a taking from them. When you correct them for your selfish interest, I have a headache, shut up, keep it down, don't you see that, you know, don't you care how hard I work for you, <laughs> right, that kind of thing, and you pile onto them, and they say, whoa, whoa, <laughs> down to the basement with us, or out in the living room with us, and they retreat, and they give you your little quiet zone, that was disciplining for the wrong thing. What you're doing is disciplining self-centeredly. You are disciplining, and the discipline takes, as opposed to discipline that bestows. Discipline that bestows says, you know, I know that my kids are going to have a long, uh, hard go in this uh, world. Man is born to trouble as as the sparks fly upward, as it says in Job. And this life is going to be tough enough for these kids without them careening around the living room annoying people. I know that I'm tempted to be annoyed, but I'm not because... Because I went out on the porch and I breathed into a paper bag and I came back. <laughs> I came back and I'm not annoyed, but I know that this is not I know that this is not a blessing for them. I want my kids to learn how to be a blessing to others wherever they go. And so I'm going to correct them so that they will learn how to be a blessing to others wherever they go. And so you can have two fathers correcting two sets of children for the same misbehavior and they can even use the same words and one is taking and the other is giving. Okay? Discipline as bestowal is effective and restores to joy. Discipline as taking causes children to chafe and mutter and become resentful. Illustrated another way. Two fathers having their sons chop a cord of wood, chop and stack a cord of wood. One father is bestowing a work ethic on his son. He says, son, I know that if you want to provide for your family, you're going to have to learn how to sweat, and you're going to have to work when you don't feel like it, and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, teach you to do this, I'm going to require you to do this, and I'm going to bestow something on you by this. I'm going to give to you. And the other father is saying, man, my son's old enough to do this, and I don't have to do it if he does it, which means you're taking its free slave labor. And if you think that the kids can't tell the difference between those two actions, you're crazy. The kids can tell the difference between you giving and you taking. The kids can, they've got a radar that picks up on you taking, you giving, and and that's what they're going to find themselves uh, imitating. That's what is going to come up. So, as I said before, discipline is to restore to joy. The point is to get us back to joy. This is something I'm going to say in another talk also, and, but I, I, I do want to make this point at least a couple of times because it's a, it's a point that I find um, generates a lot of questions. And Did I hear you right? You surely didn't mean to say um, that sort of thing. And, and yes, I, I do mean to say it, and, but I do recognize also that I have to qualify this. Your task as a parent, your task as parents together, is not to get your children to conform to your standards. Your task is not to get the children to conform to the standards. Your task is to get your children to love the standards. 
Your task is to get your children to love the standard, the standard of your home, the standard of worship, the standard that you have, the way you, your family culture, your standard is to get the kids to love and embrace the standard. You want your kids to be loyal to you. You want your kids to be loyal to your standards. You want your kids to love what you are doing. You want your kids to love what you're doing. Now this is the hard part. If your kids don't love the standard, then you need to lower the standard. If your kids don't love the standard, you need to lower the standard. Now, I hope you see the little juke move in this because lowering the standard is not really lowering the standard, it's raising the standard. Lowering the standard is not really lowering the standard. Why do we think it's high standards? Why do we call it high standards? When all the kids in the home are walking on eggs, when everybody has to put, you know, everything is, the, the, the place is like a museum with velvet ropes in front of everything. You, you can't touch anything. Everybody's got to take their shoes off at the end of the driveway. You can't... And you... you, you know, that, that clear plastic stuff is up and down everything and on top of the sofa. We... we, we, we uh, Treated our whole house in plastic in case somebody tried to live in it. Well, there are there are situations, and I'm, and I'm not. Uh, well, I guess I am making fun of neatniks, but there there is a way of being a neatnik that is. If, if you're that way, your wife's that way, and your kids are that way, and everybody loves it, then God bless you. <laughs> do, do so more and more. Right? If you've got standards up here, stand, standards of how you empty the dishwasher and standards for how you do the laundry and standards for how you do things in the living room and the standards are all, are all up here and the whole family loves the standard and are having a wonderful time and the place is characterized by joy and laughter, then have at it. Do it as much as you want. Do so more and more. But generally speaking, <laughs> that's not the way it is. Generally speaking, there are a number of people in a household who are chafing under that sort of standard. Who it's, it's rubbing them raw, and they have high standards for table manners, or high standards for how the household runs, and extremely low standards for how people love one another. Now, you need to get those two standards in equilibrium. And if, you're out, if it's out of sync, if you've got high standards, let's, let's say, um, uh, put it in the, in the context of education. We, uh, we were involved in starting Logos School. Logos School just finished its 25th year. I believe it's an outstanding school. I believe it's got academically rigorous, uh, challenging curriculum. I'm very, very pleased with the education my children got and very pleased with what it looks like the education my grandkids are going to get. I'm very pleased with it. But if you are having kids eat academic gravel in order to say, I'm giving them a classical Christian education, and they hate it, and they hate it, lower the standard, back the standard off to the point where you can inculcate it while getting everybody to love it, get it in equilibrium, and then take steps together to to raise the standard in sync. Instead of having the standard, instead of consoling yourself that you're a conservative, Bible-believing Christian because 
you do all the stuff that you do. And different subcultures have different little indicators that, that, that sort of sub in for high standards. It might be, I go to Bible studies more than you do. It might be, uh, I underline my Bible more than you do. It might mean I homeschool more than you do. It might mean I raise my own chickens more than you do. It might mean, it might mean beekeeping. It might mean being a yuppie professional and not having anything to do with that. All different churches have their own little different subcultures, and there are different churches that have these subcultures, and, and these activities are praiseworthy in that subculture. Right? And it's always easy. It's, uh, so this is as old as dirt. This is a problem that is old as dirt. And that is the problem of all hat and no cattle. Right? All foam, no beer. All conformity to the external standard the wide phylacteries, the flowing robes, the lengthy prayer in the synagogue. But when it comes to love and mercy and justice, it's just not there. It delights me when I see, uh, I see families in our church, a number of families. It's a delight to see wholesome, lovely families. And I see families that have a very tight, you know, the, the discipline is tight and... I see uh, one, I'm thinking one family in particular, the discipline is extraordinarily tight. And the boys involved, in mostly boys, eat it, eat it up with a spoon. They just love it. They adore their father. They love their mother. They love the standards. They embrace it. It's glorious. So go to it. Go to it. And you can have low standards and everybody's slouching around the place and everybody's miserable there too. Right? The issue is joy. Discipline is to get you into the, the place of joy, where you're enjoying one another's company. Um, when a child is out of sorts, when a child is grumpy, when mom is grumpy, when uh, dad is cranky, you're not enjoying one another's company. You want to be pleased to be with each other. You want to want to be with each other. You don't want your kids counting the days until they're 18 so they can get out of this place, right? So I can get away to college and make my escape and then just do my dutiful uh, uh, pilgrimage on Christmas and Easter back home. And there are many kids who are not in open rebellion, but they are in quiet, they're, they're living lives of quiet desperation because their parents are not happy. Their, their parents have adopted something, so they adopted the uniform of something but the parents aren't happy. The home is not a happy place. At the beginning of reforming marriage, I ask a question that I think is, is really in child-rearing and marriage is the fundamental question. What is the aroma of your home? What is the aroma of your home? Does it feel like someone's been baking spiritual bread in your house all afternoon? Do you walk into the house and people say, this must be a pleasant this must be a pleasant place. You know what it's like to walk into somebody's house right when they ended the argument just because you were on the, on the front doorstep, right? Um, and you walk in and the atmosphere is so, you know, chilly and, and you can, the atmosphere is thick and heavy with unhappiness. Well, there's some homes that are like that all the time. It's just that kind of home all the time. And you don't, you don't want that kind of... You don't want the aroma of your home to be like something crawled under your spiritual refrigerator and died. And then it's sticking up the place and you, you can't get it. One last comment and, and then I'm done. 
you might say this. Um, I don't know who I don't know who ratted us out, um, and I get that a lot. I, have you been spying on me? Have, no, I've I've been a pastor. I've, it's like being an auto mechanic for thirty years. After a while, you've seen one busted carburetor, you've seen them all, right? <laughs> this is the way it goes. Your problems in your family are not unique problems. These are not unique problems. And there's a real consolation in that. You've got off-the-rack Kmart problems. <laughs> you're, not, you're not this weird person. This is standard, and these things can be corrected. And they can be corrected with... Uh, I don't, I, they're, they're not going to be corrected with a lot of complicated, higher-level calculus spiritual theology. They are going to be corrected with a lot of simple humility and eating crow. Okay, What you do is you say, kids, um, I want you to know that I, I, I know that I've been snapping at you for bad manners at the table, and I've done it a lot, and please forgive me. And I know I've said that before. Well, maybe I haven't, but I'm saying it now, right? I'm saying it now. And I, I, I recently counseled a family. I, th- I said the, the kids had all sorts of manners they had to obey at the table, and Dad would snap at them and that sort of thing. And then on his day off, they had a bunch of chores that they had to do, the different things that they had to do, wash the car and do all this sort of thing. And I told Dad, to, what you need to do is say, every time I snap at you for bad manners, that's bad manners on my part, would you please forgive me, and I'll wash the car for you this next time around. I'm going to take burdens off. I want to show grace. I want to show kindness. I want to, I want to show mercy. And do it in humility. This is the last comment. If you blow up, if you flare up at someone, and we all understand what it's like to sin before you really thought about it. It wasn't in your day timer, you know. <laughs> And just whoom, off you go like a bottle rocket, and you say, "Man, I didn't, I didn't mean to make that mess this afternoon, and then I just did." And so <clears throat> you, there you did, you made a mess. Well, the problem generally is caused not by the sin in your family. The, your kids know they live with sinners. You know that they're sinners. They know that you sin. The problem is refusal to deal with it out of pride after you have done it. So. You know what an eighth grade boy is like when he's, let's say he's walking down the hall in, in school and there's a pack of cute girls and he says, oh, I need to walk by them in such a way as to impress them all. And so, of course, when he does this, he trips and falls on his face right in front of them. Now, when he does this, does he lie there on his face thinking, if I lie here long enough, maybe they won't notice? <laughs> no. What happens is if he falls on his face, if any of them blinked, they missed it. Because he's back on his feet walking as though nothing happened. That's how you need to confess your sins. Like an 8th grade boy falling down in front of the girl. Confess your sins now. And when you refuse to confess your sins, let's say you flared up or you're angry or bitter. Something comes out and you weren't thinking about it. You didn't plan on it. That is a sin to be confessed, to be sure. But when you refuse to confess it to God and you refuse to confess it and acknowledge your fault to your wife and to your family in front of whom you did this, or in front of your husband and family in front of whom you did this, if you don't do that, then the pride that keeps you from confessing sin, that's not a a foible of the flesh. That's diabolical. It's diabolical to sin in a high-handed way. 
and refuse to acknowledge it to those um, that you affected by the, the sin. So need to, you need to eat humble pie, embrace the, the need to, be, to humble yourself before your kids. Seek your, your kids' forgiveness. There's much more on this, but let's open it up for a few questions. Is there a good way to relate to your kids how God disciplines mommy and daddy? They, they don't see God taking you in the bathroom to give you a spanking. One of the things that comes to mind is repentance, at least demonstrates one of the results of discipline. Are there other ways to relate yes. that? Um, one, of the things, one of the things you want to do is teach your, your children. The, the first thing is when you seek forgiveness for things, that should be included in the... It shouldn't be just... Kids, I'm, I'm sorry for doing what I did. That was wrong. It should be, kids, you know that we teach you that you're under our authority. But we, we want you to know that we're under authority also. And when, uh, and I'm seeking your forgiveness because you know how I spank you sometimes? Yeah. Well, God just spanked me and, and I was convicted of what, what I said and what I did. And so you link it to the fact that God is in authority over your home. Another thing I did with our kids when I was teaching them to talk, when uh, pointing things out and what's that? That's the moon. Who made the moon? God. Right? You want to? You're weaving vocabulary acquisition in with theology. It's. I would tell my kids, "Who's the boss?" You know, we we just have these little impromptu catechism things. Who's the boss? And they point at me. You're the boss. And then I would say, "Well, who's the big boss? Who's the who's the great boss?" And they point to the sky. You're, in other words, I teach them to say, Dad, you're not the final. There's a court of appeals beyond you. Other questions? Yeah. Um, the uh, type of spanking that you mentioned with uh, uh, taking the children to the tower or to the basement uh, and the prayer and the, all that goes with that, uh, I've read some other sources that will say, Spanking is more of a training tool, especially in the younger years. Uh, it's just you use it off and on uh, all day long. You don't. And it's, I've even read one source that said, "Don't do all the prayers and the spiritual stuff with it." From a Christian source, are these two types of complementary spanking? Are they mutually exclusive? Are we talking about one maybe for a more severe type of uh, offense, or how do you integrate those? I guess the I would just give a brief answer. Maybe we could follow it up in between. I would say that generally speaking, parents need the discipline of the spanking time as much as the kid does. When you're going through the prayer, when you're doing all this, it's not that you, it's not that you want to um, sort of over-spiritualize everything for the sake of your kid. Let's make this a big, pious event every time we turn around. Uh, it's that It goes back to the Galatians 6.1 thing. In my experience teaching parents, it's very easy to discipline when you're cranked, when you're upset, when you're, when you're out of sorts. And, and actually... I would say that the prayer and that sort of thing is as much discipline for the parents as it is for the child. So I think that I think the ch- children could receive a training type of discipline, uh, and and as long as it wasn't done in anger or sin, it would be it'd be okay on the kids' end. But I'm I'm just concerned that parents not leave room for themselves to sin in the discipline. Oh, I see lots of hands. Well, we'll take we'll take one more. We uh, we'll take one. More. 
Um, my husband and I aren't parents yet, but uh, I've heard certain ways of spanking and should just the husband go in and do the discipline and or should it be a family where both him and I go together or is it just, you know, is it both where we both do it on different times or, okay. you know, is it just one person of the family who does that? I'll just throw a few random things out and maybe I can work this in later. I would say it ought not to be in front of the other kids, right? It ought to be a private thing between um, parents and, and child. The other kids are more than aware of, of what's happening. They've got eyes like a couple of trash can lids. You know, I said earlier, <laughs> strike the fool and the simple learn wisdom, and the, the, the two innocent ones are out in the living room learning wi- wisdom. And, but if they're watching, it could be too humiliating, too degrading. So I'd just say a few things. I would say uh, it ought to be private, taken away. Generally, Nancy and I did not do it together. I would do it, I would administer discipline when I was home. Nancy probably administered discipline the majority of the time. I'd say maybe 80% of the time or even more. Nancy was the one who was there. She would discipline and I would discipline when I was home. Uh, She would be watching the other kids or uh, if I were disciplining one of the children. So that's, and and one other thing I should say, I I believe that the bulk uh, bulk of spanking should happen when the child is three years old and under and they ought to become um, increasingly rare after that and almost non-existent by the time the child's 12 or so. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't spank past that, even if it called for it. I would uh, suggest another form of discipline, which will come up later. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out more parenting talks from Doug and Nancy Wilson, available at mycanonplus.com. Plus.com.